The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Voice America welcomes you to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Now, here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. Good morning, everybody. Beatrice Felix is our guest today, and she is a certified executive coach who founded Pivotal Mindset in 2004. Based in Santa Monica, she assists entrepreneurs and top professionals make changes to grow their business. Clients praise her incisive assessment, strategic thinking, and practical approach for her objective perspective on wavering support, which always generates lasting results. With a degree in economics and years with Fortune 500 companies, she brings a breadth of experience to the table. I personally love and really connect with the native New York infectious energy enthusiasm that you'll all enjoy throughout the course of the show. And today we're talking about something that I think everybody can learn from, and that is lessons we all learn from making mistakes in business. Welcome, Beatrice. Thank you so much for the kind words. It's a pleasure to be here. It's really a pleasure to have you. I know that you've been working really, really, really hard, and you probably wanted to sleep in a little bit, but we wouldn't let you do that. No, it's it's well worth getting up for you. <laughs> Thank you. And for you, happy 4th of July. Absolutely, happy 4th. Okay, so listen, we're going to talk about mistakes, and I think that, you know, it's it's such an important topic because people sometimes like to blank out mistakes, and they'd like to deny that maybe a mistake happened because it helps them cope a little better, but... I think when we had lunch together, we both agreed that, you know, making mistakes can be valuable in our experiences and lessons, and we could become better people if we really look at what we've done wrong and why we did it and how we could correct the situation, right? Absolutely. So why is it that we often have such a hard time learning from our mistakes? Well, I think that first off, admitting that something that we're doing isn't working is just so painful. and. It's essentially admitting that we failed. And I think there's just a lot of ego involved there. And sometimes we'll know that something isn't working, the way we're presenting, the way we're handling a situation, but we don't know what it is that we need to change, let alone how are we going to change it. And we can't make the change unless we know why we're handling it that way in the first place. So until you figure that out, it's really hard to make a shift. So it's much easier to just stay in the same pattern and hope that, well, maybe next time I'll get a different result. Right. And ego is a big part of it. Is I mean, you mentioned fear, but ego is a big part of it, too. We all like to blow ourselves up, you know, puff up and, you know, we did this and we did that and we're great. And that's the way many of us, you know, this is, you know, plural. <laughs> Absolutely. You know, well, it's um, showing vulnerability. No, exactly. When you admit that you that you made a mistake, 
Right, I, I think so. But it's like, I, you know, there's always this, bra, you know, bravissimo or, you know, um, you know, you cover it up as if you had whiteout. And yes. I don't know if that's really the best approach to improvement. Well, you know, I think that we, we look at it as um, something that happened in school where we're going to get punished because we didn't do well instead of looking at it as a really rich opportunity to find out what works. And that's where you have to put the ego aside. Yeah, no, I think that's really true. And I know that you provide a very supportive, fresh set of eyes to assess these things. Well, you know, a lot of it has to do with um, figuring out why we do things. And usually why we do things has to do with our mindset. And that's why I actually named the practice Pivotal Mindset because it's really at the core of everything we do. It's from how we see the situation, how we interpret it, how we respond, and then ultimately what result we get. And if we see a situation where we failed a certain way and we go up and approach it the same way next time, we're going to get the same result. But if we can take a different mindset going in, then you can have an entirely different experience. So what's an example of a simple mindset shift? Um, okay, well, you know, there's a, very often people go into a situation where they feel defensive, you know, where there's a sense of um, drudgery, you know, or I, don't, I really don't want to do this, but I have to. So they'll go in and rather than embracing an opportunity, they'll sort of slink through it, and that doesn't generate the kind of response they want from other people. Whereas if they go in and they say, you know what, this, is, this can be potentially fantastic for me and my business, they're going to show up in an entirely different way. Okay, so let's take networking for an example. I mean, this is something that we both do as entrepreneurs. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there's it's very critical today, particularly for new entrepreneurs. And um, you know, there's it. You know, networking can be cumbersome. Um, and I'm going to separate, you know, sort of face-to-face networking from other forms of marketing because mm-hmm. I think that each each of those areas are different. Face-to-face networking is sort of an animal in itself. And mm-hmm. a lot of people, particularly if they grew up in the corporate world and they made the shift to being an entrepreneur or a forced entrepreneur, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they don't, it seems so awkward to them that all of a sudden they have to go and sit around a conference table and do a show and tell and, you know, properly say the name of their company and give testimonials for people who have made an introduction and make sure that they have the name of their company right, it becomes, you know, for corporate people, this is retraining. Absolutely. And you know that, too, because you you kind of had to be retrained yourself. Yeah, you know, I think that... um... For one thing, a lot of people, they they feel like, I have to do this, and they think that if they just show up, it's enough. And the sad thing is that it isn't. And those people who take that attitude are the ones we often, we have been in the same room with them a dozen times, and we don't remember them, or we don't know what they do. So they didn't make any impact, so their networking experience was completely unsuccessful. So rather than being the best-kept secret in the room, they really have to come at it from an entirely different perspective. They have to say, you know what, I mean, I know for myself personally, some of my best business contacts were made in the most unlikely situations and often at times are from people that I would not have expected would end up being great resources for me. 
So you have to walk into the room and say, this is a treasure hunt. I don't know who is going to be the person who's going to really, you know, unlock something valuable for me, but I'm going to go in there and put my best foot forward. And you have to think of it as you would in an interview where you just want to really shine. And you have to be engaging. Um, And engaging doesn't mean talking about yourself. It means genuinely being interested in everyone else there. You know, one of the things people tell me is, oh, my gosh, I meet so many people and I cannot remember their name. Well, if people are more present and really just take a breath and say, you know what, I'm here right now. I'm not thinking about the headache I have waiting for me at the office or what happened yesterday. I'm going to be here in the moment. They can really focus on the people that are around them, and that is something that people respond to, and it makes it much more comfortable, and there's a really strong connection that can happen. The word engaging is an important word, and it's a word that social media coaches often use when they're telling people how to resonate and break through the clutter, um, you know, through Twitter, let's Mm -hmm. say, for the sake of argument. Um, You know, it's not about just talking about yourself. It's about connecting with others and having a conversation, and I would guess that's the same for face-to-face marketing as well. Absolutely. And that's, you know, some people I also notice really don't come armed with a lot of good ammunition. And by that I mean, what are they reading about what's going on in the world? You know, there's some fantastic publications right now, whether it's Fast Company, Wired, etc., that talk about some new attitudes like, you know, fail early and fail fast, fail often. You know, you can, when you read these kind of things, you can share at these kind of meetings, and it's something that everyone can relate to. You become a magnet because you're interesting, and you bring something of value as opposed to just what do you do? I mean, those questions, I think they put everyone to sleep or they just make everyone bored. No, I, I think you're exactly right. And, um, you know, if you hear stories um, and the news article, for those that aren't that creative in coming up with their own stories, you're right. Um, news publications are so easy to, you know, to search and find contact with. You could do it you know, five minutes before you go into a meeting. You know, you could do a Google search on a specific topic, and you could add your own spin onto, you know, current information. So if you're not that extemporaneous, you're still bringing something creative to the table by using, you know, interesting articles written by others. Well, you know what, what you mentioned about the Google I think is so important because it's hard to keep up on everything. And I know that a lot of times I have clients who say, how can I be more charismatic? How can I connect better with these leads I have? And for one thing, you've got to ask questions so you know something beyond just what they do, but what really excites them, what matters to them. And then if they have a, a, a certain interest, you can put in a Google alert for something on that topic. And that way, periodically, you're going to hear things that you might never have come across otherwise but you can share, and it makes them feel like, oh, my gosh, we have a connection. This person's paying attention to me. And that makes you charismatic. Uh, and I think that's absolutely true. These are very, very good points, and it's so funny, Beatrice. You know that I'm thinking about how this applies to some of the networking groups that we belong to and visualizing how this can improve you know, that experience and make it so much more than just what I call the show-and-tell session. Mm-hmm. So listen, we have to get ready for our first commercial break very soon. I told you that we uh, this moves very, very quickly. You probably said to yourself, oh, my God, what are we going to talk about for an hour? <laughs> but as you can see, we're down with the first segment. Um, I really have to endorse and um, 
I can't say I can't say too much in terms of wonderful things about Beatrice Felix and her business pivotal mindset. And I encourage people to go to the website www.pivotalmindset.com. Did I get that right, Beatrice? Actually, it's currently being revised. So I think it would be best if they actually shoot me an email and I'll let them know when it's up. Okay, so then shoot Beatrice an email at Beatrice at PivotalMindset.com. Yes. And um, get in touch with her. Look her up on LinkedIn. She is really an extraordinary person. So I think that's important for any kind of executive coach or business consultant. You have to be a fantastic, smart culturally enriched person too. <laughs> so I can't say enough uh, about her after I I just felt that we had a great lunch together when we got together very recently. So um, my words are sincere and they're fresh in my mind and I wanted to share that with all of you. So don't go away. We're going to have more with Beatrice Felix right after this commercial break. <laughs> Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com Welcome back. To Stars of PR with Cindy R. If you have a question or comment, call in at 1-866-472-5788. Now, back to the show. Here's Cindy Rakowitz. For those of you that have just tuned in, we're talking about how to learn from the mistakes that you've made in business. And I really encourage all of you to go back to the beginning of the show. If you've downloaded this, it's going to be a really nice refresher course in how to you know, really improve, you know, improve in business from some of the mistakes that you've made. And Beatrice Felix and I are trying to go through some of the common ones. Beatrice, we were talking about face-to-face networking in the last segment, and I know that you wanted to cover marketing as well, talk about things like being value-added. Why don't you talk a little bit about that? Okay, if you don't mind, though, there's, there's something that came up during the commercial break that I, I just thought would be really valuable for your listeners. Um, you know, one of the things about networking that's, that's really sad is when you see a golden opportunity that's missed. And a, a situation like that came up recently. I was talking to someone who is miserable in their job, and they had a very unique area of expertise, so there weren't many places that they could jump to and go to an, another firm. And they told me with, you know, great enthusiasm, oh, I, I have a meeting set up with someone at this other company. And I said, well, great. Well, what are you, what are you going to ask? What are, what are the five most important things you need to come out of that meeting knowing? And this person just looked at me with a blank face. 
Mm. And here was one of the few opportunities she was going to have to find out, is this a place that really is going to be a better fit for her because the one she's at now isn't? And how is she going to package herself if she gets an interview so that she can look as strong as possible? Because she did have some major Achilles heel in her resume. And the fact that she wasn't prepared I found really shocking. And this is where, you know, she's having, coming in with the mindset of, you know, help me, you know, throw me a life preserver, where she had to approach this instead with, this is a fact-finding mission. I need to come across as focused, knowledgeable, not needy. And the only way to do that is you have to be really strategic. You've got to plan ahead. And I hate to say this, but you need to actually have a script in your head. What are the words you're going to use? What is it you want to find out? So that it sounds spontaneous, but you have to be very strategic. And, you know, after we we went over like five or six questions and how she could bring them, um, deliver them so that she would come across as real value-added if she joined the firm, I'm sure that she'll have an entirely different result than if she just showed up. It's, it's like those college classes we thought that they were going to be easy so we didn't really study, and then we didn't get a great grade either. Mm-hmm. The same thing happens when people have opportunities that they think, oh, I sort of know them, and they count on chemistry or luck that, that it's going to go well. But you've got to really grab those opportunities and make the most of them, and that means doing your homework and really planning and being ready. Okay, so, you know, for example, somebody goes in for that job interview. You can't, I, I mean, I'm trying to capture this in a, in a small fictional case study situation. Mm-hmm. You can't go into somebody and say, you know, I, you know, I used to do this and I'm really unhappy and unfulfilled and I know that I can do that. Um, you really have to help me. That's wrong. Absolutely. Okay, because that's the needy part. Right? Absolutely. And, it's, you know, the thing is, it has to be all about them. And you have to prove that you have the vision and you have the ability to assess situations and find out what is it they need and figure out how you can meet that need, if you can. Or maybe you find out that, you know what, this is not a good fit for me. And that's great information, too. No, exactly. And, but how do you, what would you say for the person that is going for a job because they had a connection, okay, or they were able to get into the door, and they really did have a skill set that might be a match. They just didn't know how to um, translate those skill sets to how it might work in this new potential opportunity, right? Well, I mean, I I'm sure that happens a lot. Where yeah, I think that... Um, one of the things we do is we tend to assume things, and rather than asking questions, we just throw as much as we can on the table and hope that something will resonate with them. And I think this is where having really strong questions ready um, so that you know how it is you can shape what it is that you have to offer. So, for example, in her case, I said, why don't you ask her, what is the weakest link in the department right now? Because if they're describing someone with your skill set, you know this is not the place for you. You know, or what is the change that you most want to see in the coming year in your company or your department? And then find out how can I provide those things that are needed? What is it that I can bring that would answer that? Right. So you're really prepping it. We do it in our business as media training. Mm-hmm. You do it as, you know, as interview training. Right. And um, I think that's really a good pertinent point. Be inquisitive. Show that you're interested in them after you've done thorough research on the company, and you might know some of the answers. 
um, ask them the questions about what didn't work before, what is it that they need, and then you can, in essence, answer your own questions instead of being very dependent on what they're going to ask you and respond and react. Exactly. And, and I think that sometimes we're afraid to ask. Our, you know, I, I would guess, well, it goes back to face-to-face networking, mm-hmm. as we talked about in the previous segment. People sometimes, you know, they, they put stuff out there because they're nervous and they want yes. to fill the space, but it's like blah, blah, blah. It's nothing, right? But if somebody asks somebody a question in the room, all right, it might have been more engaging. So the word engaging comes up again, both in face-to-face networking and in job interviewing skills. But it's not only asking a question. It's asking a question that is really valuable and in phrasing it properly. And that's where I think people have to script it out. You have to think about what are the words I'm going to use that are going to convey the right tone, the right nuance. Otherwise, it can be very sloppy and it does not have the same impact. Right. No. It's, and that's where somebody like you comes in very, very handy. Yes. I try. Uh, <laughs> Don't wing it when you have, <laughs> exactly, when you are looking exactly. for... And don't, you, don't count on chemistry or that it's just going to somehow flow and it's all going to work out. But, you know, you've mentioned something about the value added, um, and that brings something else to mind. I think, I, I know that there are even extroverts like myself that they'll get into certain situations where you just don't feel comfortable and you kind of shrink away. And that's a real shame because here's an opportunity. I'll give you an example of something that happened recently. I was invited to one of those uh, functions where you're seated at a table for eight to ten people. And I knew I wasn't going to know anyone at the table. And it's so awkward. You, you, you know there's a speaker coming, there's a meal. It's very hard to start a conversation. So this time I looked up who the speaker was, Googled him. Turns out I'd been to his properties, I'd read some of his books, I got to the event early, and bingo, there he was in the lobby. And I recognized him because on Google I found him doing a TED Talk. And this put me in an entirely different situation because when I got to the table and I looked around and everyone's sort of fumbling, feeling awkward, I just turned and said to everybody, hey, does, um, has anyone ever been to one of his properties? Do you know anything about his company? And they said no. And so I said, well, you know what? I was at one recently, and this was what was so amazing about it. And I shared an experience about going on an architectural tour that started at his property. This was such an easy way to bring people in. It was relevant to the event, but it really engaged people. And then they started talking about their travels, and it was much more comfortable than what do you do, where are you from, how do you know the host. And in this case, it was a financial advisor, and no one really wants to go into their personal finances. But the thing is, the table got engaged. And the host of the event looked at me and she said, our table is the only one where there's all this activity and there's this cross-dialogue. And she said, that is why I invited you here. I knew you could do that. But for me personally, the nicer part of it was that someone at the table approached me afterwards, they retained me, and I now have a long-term contract with their company. That's what I mean by bringing value added to the proposition. I think that's a very, very good example, and you even tied in some of the research and using Google, you know, like we spoke about in the previous segment and how it applied to this. Um, You made the connection because you did the research. Exactly. And you were prepared. Mm -hmm. So let's go to um, making presentations. Mm 
Okay. Okay. And um, let's talk about some of the mistakes that you've witnessed. Well, you know, kind of like networking, I think presentations are right up there with the things that people really hate to do most. And um, this can even happen for people at a very high level. And I once saw a new CEO come into a company, and he, it was a very young company, and he was very old school, and he was determined to take control. So one of the first things he did was he scheduled a weekend retreat, and you can imagine how well that went over. I mean, people feel like it's punishment when they have to take off. But he also went a step further. He insisted that everyone leave their phones, their Blackberries, all those things at the door. Now, this is probably something he couldn't get away with today. It was a couple of years ago. But he was really old school, and he wanted to make sure he had everyone's undivided attention. And to him, that meant that they were looking at him, because otherwise he felt he wasn't being respected, and that was his hot button. Mm-hmm. Well, in his case, he knew he wasn't a great speaker. And when he'd see people fidget, he'd get really flustered, and then things went downhill even further. So this was his way of trying to, you know, wrangle control. But the problem is he was coming from the mindset of being an enforcer. And what I said to him is, you know, you've got to come at it an entirely different way. You've got to be a persuader. You have got to win them over. So they have to buy into the new methodology that you're bringing your company. And the way to do that is to captivate them with what you're saying, not keep them hostage, So, again, we worked on messaging, and this was getting him to boil it down, not drown them in details, and come about it as if you're thinking about it as a campaign, that you want to win their votes, and you have to have a strong theme and really succinct PowerPoints to make that happen. When he did this, it was really fresh. It was a lot shorter, which everyone also appreciated, but it was really impactful. But the key thing here is I said, let them bring in their devices. Because if you're saying something that's really resonating with them, they're going to either jot it down on their PDA or they want to share it. So this is now a tool for you. It's not a distraction. Very good advice. And that shift completely changed things, the way they responded to him, the way he responded. And it was just it was amazing. Oh, I, I think that's great. You know, the other thing is is that, you know, what some people do really well, and this is not in this particular case, but for other people, um, you know, I've told people not to rely so much on their PowerPoint presentations. Again, different case, because sometimes when people are doing a presentation, they get too reliant on that PowerPoint. And then they're not very engaging, because all they're doing is reading from the PowerPoint. You know, I think that's such a good point because um, I actually was at an event recently, and when I looked over the list of presenters, there was one person who sounded so impressive. But it turns out, as, as amazing as her, as her CV was, she relied entirely on the PowerPoint, and guess what? It malfunctioned. See, that's not good. <laughs> yes, exactly. And she was so flustered, and there was, there, she wasn't connecting with the audience at all. She was looking at her, at her machine, at her papers and everything. Probably one of the most amazing uh, presentations I ever saw was someone who did use images, but there was not a single word on them. Right, and, because the images complement your content rather than become, the, you know, it become the only part of your content. So, exactly, and people were looking at it, but they were drawing meaning 
and, and, as you said, relationships from these images. And they were really paying attention to what he was saying because they weren't reading it. They couldn't jump ahead. And for pe- uh, people in the audience who were very visual, it had such a strong impact on them because certain images really connected. And they weren't the obvious ones either. That was what I really ad- admired. Um, but they would say, you know what, that really inspired me. When I saw that image, it made me think of this, and that took me to a whole other place. But that also takes a lot of courage, and you have to have confidence that you, that you can deliver the message. And I think a lot of people use the PowerPoint as a crutch. And that's probably a mistake. Absolutely. <laughs> okay, well, listen, we're coming to the end of this segment. And, um, again, this is a very interesting show with a very engaging guest. Beatrice Felix, and um, I want everybody to download this because there's a lot of things that you'll take away from it. Um, Go back to the beginning after you download, and the show will be available on the Voice America website probably by end of day tomorrow, so don't forget to go and check it out and download it and use it for reference. Stand by, and we'll be back with Beatrice after these commercial breaks. Be sure to friend us on Facebook. You can do it right now. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America or search for us at keyword Voice America. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com Streaming live. The leader in internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com Get free advice from crisis communications guru Cindy Rakowitz now. Call 866-472-5788. Let's get back to Stars of PR. Here's the host and CEO of BR Public Relations, Cindy Rakowitz. We're back and we're talking to Beatrice Felix, the founder of Pivotal Mindset. And we are talking about lessons learned from mistakes. We've covered presentations in the last segment. We've also included some tips about networking and how you could avoid mistakes in face-to-face networking um, and some really, really great stuff about preparation, being strategic, learning how to ask meaningful questions. Um, You know, it's really important stuff and I think that the overall theme is don't wing it. (laughs) It's like anything else in life. You may have been able to wing it when you were really young and cute. (laughs) Or we thought we could. (laughs) But don't you, don't you agree that, you know, you get more point, you get more, um, mistake, um, chits, if you will, um, when you're younger? 
I think that there's also a lower bar. Yeah, you're probably right about that too. You know, it's um, but after a while, you really have to work at it, and preparation is probably your best insurance. And I'm sure you agree with that. Uh, you know, it was interesting because I remember reading something that Churchill said. He he was you know asked to stand up at some event, and he made a comment, and the person later said to him, "Wow, that was the most amazing extemporaneous remark I've ever heard." And he looked at him and he said, "I've been practicing that for years. I've just been waiting for a good time to use it." That's wonderful. So, you know, it's it's not that, you know, we have all these canned things, but to think that we can rely on um, just inspiration in the moment, that can be pretty dicey. But, you know, you mentioned something earlier about the presentations, which um, I just wanted to throw one thing in. You know, a lot of people that I meet, particularly CEOs and senior-level people um, who've been in management, when they have to go out and do anything that feels like selling themselves or their company, they find it so demeaning. And it's, you know, I, I hear this, I, I don't want to be something other than who I am, you know, and that's just not my style. I'm not a salesman. And I think that this has uh, some really disastrous impact on the success of their presentations. I'll give you an example. Um, I recently met with this brilliant CEO uh, who was looking for investment partners for his business. And in this market, that's tougher than ever. He was really genius in terms of seeing opportunities and building a company, but extremely soft-spoken. And, in, in fact, the only way I can describe his, his voice is very monotone and very low energy. And the thing is, he couldn't understand why he had these great numbers, and yet when he'd make these presentations, he wasn't getting the kind of, of feedback and response that he was hoping for. And I said to him, you know, if, if it was enough just to give them the information, then they wouldn't have called you in for a presentation if they would make their decisions based on that alone. But they need to feel confident in you as a leader, are you resilient? Are you resourceful? Do you have the vision to pull off these projections that you're, that you're you know, saying that you can? And the only way for him to do that was to look at it from their perspective. What is it I want to accomplish? What do they need to see in me as opposed to who am I when I'm at dinner parties or you know, just around people that I know? So instead of going from a mindset of, you know, this is distasteful and demeaning, it's, you know what, this is a showcase. I'm going to show them my unique skills and abilities, and this is why my investment is more, you know, more attractive or actually more bankable than someone else coming in because they're going to have a lot of pitches. And I said, you've got to be memorable. At the end of a week, if they can't remember who you were or anything about you, they're probably not going to invest in the company. Right. So in his case, it was, I said, you've got to earn their confidence. Project these qualities. You have them in spades, but right now they're really hidden. I don't see that powerful leader in the guy who's mumbling and just droning off. That does not instill confidence in me. So uh, the analogy I said is, you know, you're, you're painting this picture of your company and you're using watercolors. From the back of the room, they can't see that. You need to use acrylics. You need to have impact and you need to be memorable. An oil painting. Exactly. Exactly. So, and I think that this whole thing about anyone pushing their business now has to sell themselves, and this is what they have to get past, is feeling that, I went to Harvard, I shouldn't have to do this. Well, you know what? In today's world, we all have to do it. Well, everybody had to do a transition. Yes. I mean, I mentioned before that, you know what, you probably, you know, have a few opportunities to get away with it when you're young, because, you know, you're... 
you know, you people just take, you know, they say, you know what, she's young or he's young and, you know, but I could see what their potential is. Mm-hmm. You know, it just sort of this these opportunities to get away with cuteness die very fast. Um, You know, they're short-lived. But now we have so many people who might be Harvard-educated or may have had a great career path, but that kind of all disappears because we're all on new, solid, recessionary ground. And exactly. You know, the thing is, I think people are afraid to pull the trigger. They're afraid to hire or engage firms. If they have any way that they can justify not making a decision, they'll do it. So you've really got to eliminate any doubts they have or any lingering, you know, ambiguities. And the only way you can do that is by being fully prepared. No, and again, that seems to be your your theme throughout the course of the show. And yeah. <laughs> you can't wing it anymore. You can't wing it anymore. You have to really do your homework. That's what the economic landscape forces you to do. You were an ec- you are an economist. You know this. Absolutely, and and I think that um, we're also a lot of us are tired, and we feel like, oh my gosh, you know, I, do I have to prepare for this? The truth is, you do. You know, it's it's just like you said, it's the new reality, it's the new marketplace. Uh, it really, really is. And then you know, we talk about people being tired. Um, you wanted to discuss burnout. Oh yes, the ultimate price paid when forced to continually produce more with less resources or support. That's a very recessionary statement, isn't it? Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what everyone's hearing. Okay, so you know, what are the suggestions that you have to get past this? What do you tell your clients? Well, you know, the thing with, the thing with burnout, it's it's the the cause of it is usually lack of boundaries, and boundaries in any relationship are critical. But particularly in business, if you want to stay sane, let alone successful, it's really important to have them. The problem with boundaries are we usually don't set them until we feel that they've been breached. And when they've been breached badly, by then it's pretty awkward to bring it up. Uh, so sometimes we avoid confrontation, you know, even the toughest of us. And other times we will approach it, you know, but we'll handle it badly. So we establish kind of what I call these unwritten contracts that we're silently bound to, but they're slowly killing us. So... One of the things you have to do is it's, it's about communication, you know, and you have to be able to know how to ask for what you need and also be clear on what you can provide. And you have to be long-term in your thinking because otherwise people will very easily let things slide. And that's, that's really where, where the, the danger lies. Yeah, no, it's, um, you, you are so right about these... Um, how should I say this, these um, contracts that, you know, are not real contracts, but they're sort of, you know, silent, you know, silent contracts mm-hmm. or unwritten contracts. And this is another place where people have to really be prepared all the time in terms of expectations and yes. delivery and what's real and what's paid for and what's not paid for and what do you get paid for and what do you charge for. And there are ways to creatively weave these things into your communication with people. Yeah, you have to articulate. And, you know, I see this a lot um, in companies where you have either a family business 
or a, you know, spouses start a company, or even when two people start a business together and they just start small. And so the, the employees they bring on, they're, quote, like family. And because of that, there's often um, a very relaxed kind of an attitude. But as the company grows, the lack of boundaries, the lack of really setting clear expectations, that becomes a huge problem. And by then it's very awkward to deal with it. It, no, it's. I think that I think that boundaries, contracts, goals, um, shared working agreements, whatever you want to call it, have to be very, very clear now. Time allocation, um, fees for time, all of that kind of stuff has to be very simple. And you and I discussed this at lunch. It has to be simple, fast, and clear. You know, another, another thing that we're, we haven't touched on, which I think is, is really important, because today, you know, you've got more competition for any kind of business you're seeking. You know, I, I see with a lot of my clients that they're competing against firms that they never had to before because the pie seems to keep shrinking. And a real dangerous area can be not setting boundaries with clients. And you can set a precedent for really punishing standards or levels of service that not only aren't reasonable, but they really seriously erode your profit margin. So that's something that can, can be a big issue. I mean, I'll give you an example. Uh, one of my clients was telling me about they've landed a contract they really wanted. It was in a, in a new market they wanted to, to make a foray into. It was going to be a very prestigious thing to have on their, on their list of clients. But during the proposal process, the client was really... Um, how should I say, abusive, really. Excessive emails, excessive demands, asking for things on weekends, you know, on Saturday and then Sunday saying, you know, where is that thing that we asked for? Unreasonable turnaround times and deadlines. And when they got the contract, I said, you have absolutely got to make sure that you put in here clear expectations as to what you can and cannot deliver because not only will it annoy you as a business owner, but the bigger risk is that you're going to burn out the key employees because these kinds of clients, they're like heat-seeking missiles. They know exactly who it is that they can turn to. And the danger is that, let's say in this case they had a fantastic project manager, if this person gets burnt out halfway through the contract, this would be disaster, absolute disaster. So this is where you talk about, as you mentioned, you know, what, what are the email, what is the turnaround time, you know, what are the fees, what is covered, what isn't covered, what's an extra. And a lot of times we want the business so badly we're afraid to sort of put a line in the sand and say, this I will do and this I won't. This is not acceptable. Right. No, I think that that's very important to mention early on. I, you know, it is also knowing the contract well, too. I mean, if there is the case where there is a written contract, then it's very clear. Some demanding clients will insist on a matrix, and I'm sure you've seen that mm-hmm. before, too. But, you know, it's interesting because the client sees the matrix of how they're going to get the most out of it and how they can, you know, evaluate the the delivery from a quantitative standpoint. Mm-hmm. But from my standpoint... I've always seen that as an opportunity for us too, you know, for the provider, for the service provider, because if they're agreeing to this matrix kind of contract, 
it gives us the opportunity to tell them that we've agreed to this matrix delivery system, and if you're asking us to do things that's not going to lead to the results that are you know, expected in this matrix, you have to respect that we're not going to waste the time doing it. Right. And, and as I said, that can be really hard. No one wants to say no to a client today because they're all afraid of losing them. But the other, the other thing you have to consider is the opportunity cost. If this client is draining your resources and not allowing you to go after other business or to bring on other business that might be as profitable and maybe less demanding or even more profitable, then is this really the client you want? And that's a very important question. And now we're going to take another commercial break, our last one before the last segment. And I want everybody to stay tuned because we're going to talk about overlooking the obvious and um, how can we fast forward through the learning process with Beatrice Felix. Stand by. Now you don't have to stay linked to your desktop or laptop. Take Voice America on the go and listen anywhere. Get our mobile app for iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android at the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. Movie premieres, TV specials, radio shows, film festivals, restaurant openings, fashion shows, charity events, product launches, parties, media training. At VR Public Relations, we do everything except make empty promises. Grand openings, crisis management, speaking engagements, television, movies, radio shows. VR Public Relations gets the job done, whether it's an intimate party or a huge film festival. In fact, you've probably seen our work in the New York Times, on the evening news, CNN, and the morning shows. Now, it's time for us to assist you. Turn saleability into profitability with the help of VR Public Relations. Visit us online at www.vrpublicrelations.com or call 1-818-783-3307. Movie premieres, charity events, TV specials, radio shows. VR Public Relations. We do it all. www.vrpublicrelations.com The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Cindy Rakowitz has won more awards than she can hang on her wall, including three Clios. Call in now at 1-866-472-5788 and you can have one. Okay, maybe not, but she will answer your questions. Back to Stars of PR with Cindy R. We're in our last segment with Beatrice Felix. By the way, if you have any questions for Beatrice, feel free to email her at Beatrice at PivotalMindset.com, and her new website is going to be up shortly. But while, she, while we're all waiting for that, please feel free to shoot her an email with your questions. Um, Beatrice, before we move on to things like overlooking the obvious and, uh, you know, um, you know, how we can fast forward through the learning process. I just wanted to ask a question that was relevant to the last segment, and that is, can you review for us how you can avoid burnout if you are, you know, if if you're feeling it and you know that others are seeing it, you know, how do you refresh yourself? How do you do a refresh? Well, I think the first thing is you have to look at what is it you're doing right now. And it means making a really detailed list and being honest with yourself. And then the thing is, what can you take off your plate? Because it's usually overload that causes the burnout. 
and then that's where the boundaries are. You've got to set new boundaries and say, this is what I can or cannot do. This is something that is a best use of my time, and this I can delegate. And then you have to stick to it. And it's really easy to fall back into our old way until it becomes habit. And I think that discipline is really essential. Very good advice. You've got to take something off your plate. Very good advice, and with good reason. And then also it could be very interesting why you explain to people later, you know what, I really kind of took on too much here. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't able to serve my clients as creatively as I would have liked to because blah, blah, blah. Mm-hmm. But you know what, I made, you know, I took charge of the sea change. Right. You know, and then it's, you know, we always have to create our new platform for the day, right? I, you know, most people do it on a monthly basis. Some people do it on daily basis. Some people wait too long. But we always need a new platform in this Internet-driven world. Well, you know, when you're giving your best, your clients are getting their best. And you have to communicate with them that it's in their interest to make sure that your boundaries are being respected. I love that. I love that. Can you make that into, you know, an app? <laughs> I'll try. Boundaries. <laughs> I love that. So let's talk about overlooking the obvious, okay? When we're in the trenches, we often don't see, you know, what, you know, is on the outside, and you, it's hard for you to recognize core problems. Let's talk about blind spots that many businesses have. Well, you know, I think it, it in some ways relates to what we talked about earlier, and that's that we don't ask enough questions, and particularly in where should we really put our resources, our time, our energy, our staff, and the only way to find that out, you know, how do you keep your best employees and your best clients is by finding out what do they most value that we're offering, and then how can we give them those things at a higher level and eliminate the things that, you know, just they're like, oh, that's nice, but it's really not, it's not a make-or-break thing for me because that's where you can save the money and reallocate the resources. Um, I'll give you an example. Many years ago, I ran a reservation center, and it was with a huge client, and one day we had a labor strike, and essentially there was no way for me to provide the client the service that I was contracted to without the employees. I had maybe 10% of what I should have had. I couldn't just throw up my arms. So what I did is I went to the client and I, and I said, what is it, how is it that you determine or, or would, how would you define good service? And I had assumed that it was me completing the process entirely of meeting their, their um, processing their order. The answer really surprised me. is that I want the phone picked up in X number of rings and I want you to take my order. They didn't say complete it, just take the order. And I said, well, if I got back to you within 24 hours with it completed, would that be okay? They said, yeah, that's fine. Just make sure I can get off the phone and have put it in. That was a key for me because I was able to hire much less expensive, untrained people that answered the phone, took the orders, and then the few that I had could process it and get it back in 24 hours. There was no way that those people could have done all the processing at the same time, but by stretching it out and changing the business model, we gave the client exactly what they wanted, and they did not see any change in what they considered the level of service, even though we found a new way to provide it. And that's where it's about asking, what is it that the client wants? How do they decide what is good service? 
instead of assuming that it's the way we've been doing things all the time. With different strokes for different folks. Exactly. And, you know, the same thing can happen with employees. I've seen some small businesses where they'll, you know, add all all different types of, of perks and things that they think the employees want or they think that they'll enjoy. But sometimes these become very expensive, and they don't necessarily keep the, the most valuable people on staff. So the question is, what is it you're doing that makes people want to work here and stay? What makes them committed to you? And then what are you doing that really is irrelevant? Well, I think that makes sense. So, you know, I think that the travel agency um, Example is a really, really good one. And you, you also influenced a change in how they do business. Absolutely, because you know, we, think that, we always think that things have to be done the way they've always been done. And sometimes you need a fresh way of saying, you know what, what's a way that makes sense to us as a business but also really makes the client feel really safe and comfortable? And if they can be satisfied a different way, then we've got to find a way to do it. Right. I mean, it doesn't make sense to just keep banging your head against the wall if you're just going to get your head hurt. Absolutely. And it can be very expensive. (laughs) Expensive and debilitating. Yeah. (laughs) So, I mean, any other, um, you know, obvious, you know, stuff, blind spots, you know, a way that a person can, you know, see. I mean, sometimes it's called a blind spot because it's hard to see. Mm -hmm. So maybe listening more hearing feedback more, opening up your ears? Exactly. Well, that's, and that's the whole thing. If you're going to ask the questions, you have to be ready to hear the answers, and sometimes they are not what you want to hear. But you have to be really open to it. And the other thing is saying, you know, how can I reframe this? How can I look at this as an opportunity for change that might be a, a major breakthrough as opposed to, oh, my gosh, this is an obstacle that is just going to be impossible to get past? And, and that's where you're saying, where am I coming from? What is the mindset that I'm going into this? Am I coming in defensive or am I coming in as being creative? Reframing is a very important communications word. Mm-hmm. Okay? In, in the world that I live in, the way that you reframe a message can save a company or kill it, particularly in a crisis. So um, when we talk about reframing, can you give an example well, I think that it's, um, you know, if you have a situation where, as we talked about with these people earlier, where you feel as though I'm coming in as an underdog or this is something that is going to be painful, you're going to come in with an entirely different um, list of options in your mind as to how to deal with it. Whereas if you say, you know what, this is exciting new territory, we're going to find a way to navigate through it. What can we do that's cre- – what have we never done before that could really work? That's a way of reframing it. And, again, it's, it's actually going back to base one with you, which is figure out the questions. Mm-hmm. What are the best questions to ask, whether you're in a job interview, you know, whether you're giving a presentation? What are the questions, you know, so that you yourself – First of all, you could engage your audience, but you yourself are also prepared with the answers. Well, you know, a lot of people don't ask themselves, why am I doing this, whether it's going after a certain client or making a change or approaching it this way, and what would be different if I changed my approach? Right. Exactly right. And um, 
we have to end the show now. But is there anything that you want to say in closing, Beatrice? Just that, you know, mistakes, we're all going to make them, and it's part of life, and you just have to embrace it because when you stop making mistakes, you probably are going to stop succeeding in your business. So as I think it was the gal who started Spanx who said, you know what, I celebrate my failures because it means I tried something new. Right, and sometimes there is a little bit of, um, you know, a risk or maybe even some short-term loss if you tried something new, but... Most more times than not, it's going to help you in the long term. And get out of the ego zone. Drop that ego. It's a bad word. Drop it. Be humble. You'll win more. That's the biggest albatross. There you go. Well, listen, I want to thank you so much for spending the hour. I'm just curious. Did it go fast for you? It just flew by. Thank you so much for this opportunity. It was a pleasure to have you, and that was Beatrice. Felix from Pivotal Mindset, and you could reach her at Beatrice at PivotalMindset.com. Enjoy the rest of this expanded holiday week, everybody, and be careful. And, um, you know, I'll see you all next week. Thank you for listening to Stars of PR with Cindy R. Please come back next Thursday and every Thursday at 7 a.m. Pacific Time, 10 a.m. Eastern for more insider information on the world of public relations with Cindy Rakowitz on Stars of PR. See you next week. I am an American Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.